Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. The U.S. Market Update with Money FM 89.3. All right, folks, we've got a bit of green on the screen, and this as we see the SP 500 up for a six straight day, with the SP 500 rising 0.5% to 4,894, hitting yet another all time high. The Dow Jones Industrial Average added around 240 points or 0.6% to 38,049. So bouncing back above 38,000 again. And the Nasdaq Composite up 0.2% to 15,510. A bit of a drag coming through from Tesla's tumble. For more insights, we're joined by Yusef Garani. He's the Director of Investments and Operations at IHT Wealth Management. Yusef, thanks for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Hey, great having you on. And we've got a lot to unpack. Perhaps we can start with the latest numbers coming out overnight on the U.S. economy. And we have GDP numbers coming in, looking pretty decent. Going by the headline numbers, GDP increased at a 3.3% annualized rate. So for all of 2023, the economy expanded 2.5%. How does it align with expectations, Yusef? I mean, I think it exceeds everybody's expectations, but it exceeds them in a way that uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of people have a hard time putting GDP in the proper context. They look at real GDP numbers, uh, the inflation adjusted version of the GDP numbers. Whereas if you're somebody who's running a business, if you're the CEO of, of a you know, S&P 500 company, you care about the nominal GDP growth, about that gross GDP growth. That you know, we've been running over 5% a year now for quite a while and continuing on at that pace. It's just, it's huge. The economy is so much bigger than it was in 2019 and 2018. Um, I think a lot of people lose the perspective there, right? They get caught up in, in mm-hmm. some of those real numbers and, and they just lose perspective of how much, how far we've come in, in the last three, four or five years. Yeah, Yusef, talking about what's really happening on the ground. What is the job market like in the U.S.? We hear about the tightness in the labor market. Oh, I can tell you that even just like for our firm, it's hard to find it's hard to find the right people. It's hard to find good people. The labor market is exceptionally tight, uh, especially in in more niche categories or or for any mm. sort of skilled trade. Um, and and if you zoom out, that's that's wonderful for the economy. That means that that people are working. That means that um, you know labor force participation for the prime age cohort, ages twenty five to fifty five, um, it's near all time highs, if not at all time highs. So people are participating, people are working, people are earning money. It's potentially a negative in that um, that can cause inflationary pressure, right, from, from wage growth, wage pressure. But if you're going to pick an inflationary pressure, if there's any inflationary pressure you want to have, it's that your people are, are getting paid, that they're mm. working and they're making money. Like that's, that's the right kind of problem you want to have as an economy, right? So, yeah, I, I think yeah. it really just reinforces that the economy is strong and, and I think we're setting up well for a, a soft landing which is awesome. Yeah, Yusef, it's a tough balancing act, right? You've got tightness in the labor market, which puts upward pressure on wages, potentially adding into inflationary pressures. On the other hand, looking at the latest numbers around inflation, the PCE index, it does seem like we've got some encouraging news. Uh, If you look at the latest numbers, on a six-month basis at least, core PCE increased 1.9%, pretty much indicating that the Fed has reached its goal. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's probably too early to say mission accomplished, <laughs> um, and we don't expect rates to come right back down, right? If if, if I'm if I'm you know, Jerome Powell, I'm looking at this and saying, look, the economy is great. We don't need to cut rates right now, and we would rather, especially knowing that there's potential tension in the Mideast, that maybe oil prices have to come back up, or maybe there's shipping disruptions. Um, I'm entering into an election year, and I'm Jerome Powell, and I don't I don't want to. I don't want to make waves. I don't want to be seen stimulating the economy. Um, I would be surprised if they're aggressive in cutting rates, uh, just given the strength of the economy. Right? The Fed doesn't need to go about this urgently, um, even though even though inflation has come back down. Now that said, they're not going to want to let it drag on. Right? They don't want to keep rates high forever just to keep them high. So they probably start bringing them down. But I think maybe the market is getting a little bit too excited a little bit too overzealous and expecting, you know, rate cuts starting in March or April and then accelerating uh, quickly throughout the year. We think that that maybe people are a little bit too aggressive in that regard. Yeah, we'll see what plays out come March. And of course, we've got an FMC meeting <laughs> next week as well. And of course, down the road, the elections, like you pointed out, what is the playbook when it comes to elections? Are there any particular sectors to watch out for? <laughs> Uh, I think I think for the elections, a lot of people are going to uh, you know take their opinions based on their political beliefs, and um, regardless of your political belief, I think it's important that as an investor, you take a step back and say, what do the elections probably mean for my clients and for my portfolio? And and from that perspective, um, if the Republicans win, it probably means lower taxes and gridlock. If the Democrats win, it probably means more spending and gridlock. Either way. <laughs> I think you're looking at not a lot of, of, yeah, right? It's kind of funny. I think either way, you're not looking for huge moves in terms of of overall government policy. And uh, you're not looking for anything to be too restrictive in terms of, you know, trying to reel back on the economy. Maybe they try to tackle some healthcare costs. Maybe there's there's room for a bipartisan initiative there. But uh, I think it's going to be really difficult to see people pushing through uh, either either you know big cuts or big tax hikes. I think I think the rules of the game are probably going to be pretty stable going forward here. Yeah, you so, said and that's regardless of who wins. You touched on gridlock. How does this mean for foreign policy as well when it comes to China, where you've got a lot of U.S. businesses making business in China, such as tech? Yeah, I, I think I think that that's that's actually probably one of the few places where there might be a different policy outcome based on on who wins is U.S. relationships with China. Um, I can I can easily see a Republican uh, leader perhaps being uh, uh, more antagonistic uh, than what we've seen over the past couple of years. But regardless of who wins the election, I don't think it's going to change the trend of U.S. companies bringing more of their production. Uh, nearshoring, going to places like Mexico uh, for some of their production, and then diversifying their overseas supply chains to include mm. not only China, but also to include Vietnam, India, um, and, and a whole host of other countries. So I, I think that these, these COVID-era supply chain adjustments are here to stay, and you're not going to see, it's very difficult to see a situation where, where the United States reverses and says, no, we want to concentrate um, all of our production capacity back in China. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, you said talking about tech, I've got Intel earnings coming out this morning. So it did beat expectations for the fourth quarter, but the forecast for the coming quarters looking a bit bleak, in fact, missing expectations, um, consensus forecasts. So what is the play for the uh, semiconductor space and the Maxfin 7? <laughs> yeah, I think I think Intel, I mean, look, as a, as a company, it's a battleship trying to turn around, right? It's 
it's difficult. It's going to take a long time for them to get back on track, and they're fixing problems, you know, one day at a time. So, so maybe don't look at Intel as necessarily the the one indicator for the mm. whole sector. Now that said, um, in, in the chip space, semiconductors, in our opinion, are almost kind of a, a leading indicator for the rest of the economy. We've seen really strong semiconductor sales. And what we believe happens here is semiconductor sales lead to new servers, leads to more, uh, more, more computation capacity, and specifically within AI. And then we hope that the AI work now starts to lead to uh, margin improvement, to productivity improvement across the rest of the S&P 500, across the rest of the economy. So think, you know, construction, implementation, and then utilization of that technology to start, I guess, sharing some of that wealth away from just the chip companies and towards the rest of the economy who's actually using the technology, actually benefiting from advances in AI. Yeah, definitely an exciting space to watch out for in terms of what's to come. We've been in conversation with Yusef Garani. He's the Director of Investments and Operations at IHT Wealth Management. Yusef, thank you for your insights this morning. My pleasure. Have a wonderful day. Take Have care. a great weekend in advance as well. Save Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.